Good morning to each of you. It's a beautiful spring morning. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians, the third chapter. Uh, We are in the concluding sermon of a three-part series uh, during the season of Eastertide, just after uh, our Easter celebration, thinking together about dreams that take on life. As we try to listen to the Spirit, uh, as we think about our church's discerning and visioning process, uh, imagine if, and Uh, listening to Scripture to see what God is wanting to do in our hearts and minds to expand us and to get us to think beyond uh, the ordinary. So from Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 21, and uh, I'll invite you to stand if you're able, and uh, we will listen prayerfully as I read this aloud. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven And on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you that he may be that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. A book was uh, published recently entitled Big Dreams, The Science of Dreaming and the Origin of Religion. Uh, Kelly Bulkley is the author. And the book deals with how the dreams that we experience at night when we're sleeping actually prepare us or can prepare us for a spiritual life. And it's a book that talks about the intersection of neuroscience and theology. And one of the things that they point out is that uh, scientists now have identified the region of the brain that is the most active, the regions of the brain that are most active during the body's sleep. So that there are two regions that are particularly active in the brain while the body is completely still. One region, interestingly enough, is emotional memories. The emotions that are tied to memories that we experience and the other region of the brain that is particularly active during that sleep and dream sequence is the area of imagination. Isn't that interesting? And they go on and talk about uh, the famous psychoanalyst Carl Jung and uh, his theories about big dreams, that sooner or later, uh, we most of us have big dreams, uh, something almost on the verge of a visitation, and uh, big dreams. And I thought about that when I thought about this imaginative process that we are in, big dreams. And, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to believe that one of the things Scripture wants us to know is that most of our spiritual dreams are too small. We don't dream very big spiritually 
because we don't have a frame of reference for anything beyond what we know or experience. Think about it. If, if you only have this frame of reference uh, in the world you live in and you never allow God to expand that world, then obviously the imagining will not go very far. Most of our dreaming is too small. I love the story about the Persian merchant who long ago lived in a remote region, but he finally landed the deal of his lifetime as a merchant. He was so happy and proud because he'd sold this beautiful, exquisite rug, and he had sold it for 100 pieces of silver. He was so elated, and he was bragging and sharing with his friends that he'd sold it for 100 pieces of silver. Finally, after he piped down, one of his friends said, Uh, I don't know why you sold it for 100 pieces of silver because that rug was so, so wonderful and so beautiful you could have sold it for much more. To which the Sufi replied, you mean there's a number larger than 100? See? Is there a number larger than 100? If you don't know that, then you'll never ask for anything more than 100. And so it is spiritually for us. And you remember the logo or the, uh, the uh, graphic that we developed for the imaginative process? Uh, and we actually claimed that verse that I read a moment ago. Uh, this is out of the message from Ephesians 3.20. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, His Spirit deeply and gently within us. God can do far more than you ever imagine, or guess, or request in your wildest dreams. Now, let's just uh, push the pause button. And let's just be realistic and ask ourselves if maybe the Apostle Paul was being a little bit... uh, in the clouds on that particular day when he was writing that. Maybe he's being just a little too grandiose. I mean, after all, he's writing to a church on the western edge of modern Turkey, a small band of believers in Ephesus, a city about the size of Jefferson City. The Roman Empire ruled everything. Greek and Roman culture dominated everything. And this small band of believers were trying to make their mark for the risen Christ. And they were pretty ordinary people. But in the midst of that ordinariness, the Apostle Paul starts describing the metrics of eternity. He, he strives for language that, that, are, that use the metrics of eternity. He talks about the power of the Spirit within us, that Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, that we might be rooted in love, that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and depth and height. I mean, that's amazing. Eugene Peterson, in talking about this passage and this book of the Bible, says that nobody can really see all of the church at once. We never see the church whole, we never see the church beautiful, we never see the church in the church's entirety. Most of us just catch little snippets, little glimmers, little snapshots of the church. And so, 
Peterson says one of the reasons that the book of Ephesians is in our canon of Scripture is that God wants to expand our imaginations so that we see the church larger than we've ever understood it. We see the church more beautiful than we've ever believed it. We see the potential and the possibilities of the church in a way that we cannot from our ordinary position. So that Ephesians is in the Bible to expand and stretch our imaginations. And let's face it, nobody here sees everything great that First Baptist Church is doing. I don't even know all the wonderful things that God is doing through this congregation. And only from the metric of eternity are we able to believe all that God is doing and all that God can do. So that the grace of God is so rich, the plans God has for us, the plans that God... uh, has structured for us, are so unbelievable that they defy logic, that they elude reason, and that they simply, there aren't words to describe. And to use Paul's language, they surpass knowledge. Isn't it interesting that Paul prays that we may comprehend that which is incomprehensible? He says, I pray that you'll comprehend that which is beyond understanding. It takes a holy imagination. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Years ago in another church in another city, I sat with a couple in the hospital waiting room. The wife had just given birth to a precious little baby boy. They had just received the news that he was diagnosed as Down syndrome. We prayed together. We cried and laughed together. We celebrated his life together. And the next Sunday in church, during the invitation, that couple came forward with a public testimony of thanksgiving that God had entrusted to them this precious, special life. And I saw the church smother them in love and affirmation and celebration and pledge support every step of the way, and not just that morning, but every morning of Andy's life. Now I want to ask you, where in the church's book of reports do you find a metric to report an experience like that? That we may comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. There is simply no community in the world like the church. We are unique. Or consider this. A teen decides that she's at the end of her wits. She's ready to give up on faith. She's ready to give in to temptation. She's ready to go the way of the world. And then her youth group surrounds her with love and prayer and unconditional, non-judgmental listening. They walk with her through the dark time. She comes out of that dark time a stronger follower of Jesus than she's ever been before. Where in our book of reports do you find a way to report a metric that can evaluate the length and breadth and depth and height of the love of God in Christ Jesus? There is simply no community on earth like the church. 
a man's doing a lengthy prison sentence. And in prison, he miraculously finds faith in Jesus Christ. He's finally released. He shares Jesus with everyone. His children come to faith. And out of that man's family, for five generations, there are preachers and missionaries and nurses and educators and Christian homemakers and Christian citizens who live the gospel for five generations. And again, I'll ask you, on that day, in prison, when that man quietly, by faith, repented of his sins and invited Jesus Christ into his life, was there a book of reports that recorded a metric for such an eternal and glorious experience as that? There are no earthly metrics to measure eternal things. And to quote Eugene Peterson again, he says that we are privileged to be called to live eternity in the midst of time. Every follower of Jesus here this morning, every church is called to live eternity in the midst of time. Now I know that uh, in this congregation this morning, there's probably somebody who's not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, frankly, you may be here and uh, you think the whole thing is a hoax. It's just sort of a superstition. Well, I want to ask you a question. What if it's all true? Imagine if Jesus Christ is who he says he was. Imagine if Jesus really died for your sins. And imagine if, because your life is unmanageable and you can't fix it yourself, that you would, by faith, turn and trust Him. Imagine what would happen if you experienced forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal hope and a peace in your life that passes understanding. Imagine if the followers of Jesus who are here this morning would begin believing that God is as good as God says He is. Imagine if this church would believe that God could really transform our community by living and breathing and working through our church in the coming months and years. Imagine if eternal metrics would work in such a way that God could use this church to do unbelievable and unimaginable things for himself. Just imagine. And you see, we, we pegged our big dream on five dreams, and I've listed those for you the last two weeks. This will be the third week. But I want you to notice that this morning I've added the tagline uh, that we developed and our, our church received in a business meeting uh, not very long ago, or at a, uh, I'm sorry, a Sunday morning uh, share time. God-centered worship, the tagline is simply, we love God. Life-changing faith, we follow Christ. Authentic relationships, we love each other. Community transformation, we help people. Global partners, we share Christ. Simple and yet audacious, bold, because this is our preferred future. This is what we are imagining 
we become in Christ and through Christ. I love the story about the man who was making his first ever trip to Washington, D.C., and he just paid the cabbie to drive him around to some of the, uh, the more historic sites so he wouldn't have to be driving, he could just be looking. They pulled up in front of the National Archives building and inscribed on it is, The past is prologue. That's actually a quote, by the way, from Shakespeare, the play The Tempest. The past is prologue. And the, the tourist looked at that and said, The past is prologue. He said to the cab driver, What does that mean? The cab driver scratched his head, read it out loud, the past is prologue. He said, I'm not sure, but I think it means you ain't seen nothing yet. I think that may be what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, you ain't seen nothing yet. Imagine if, imagine if. A pastor I know was uh, dining in a restaurant. It was an old building that had been refurbished. And when his waitress was over refilling his coffee cup, he said, ma'am, the ceiling in this building is just beautiful. It's just so ornate. And the waitress looked at him and said, I've worked here five years and I've never had time to look up. I wouldn't know. And you know, sometimes I think that's what happens in church. We show up, we do our job, we sing our songs, we teach our class, we shake our hands, we do all the churchly things, but we never look up. We never look at the possibilities. We never look at the what if. We never look to see what God might be dreaming for a future that can only be held by eternal metrics, the metrics that live in the heart of God. This uh, last slide is the slide of the closing uh, verse of our text from the message. And it's, it's the Apostle Paul breaking out in sort of a hallelujah chorus breaking out in a glorious benediction. And I want us to say this aloud together. Can we do that? You don't have to quote the verse at the end. Uh, but let's, let's say the text aloud, please. Say it with me. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus. Glory down through all the generations. Glory through all the millennia. Oh, yes. Let's pray together. As we bow in a time of prayer, there may be a special Holy Spirit delivered, imagine if, for your own particular life. It might involve rolling off a burden, imagine if your life could be lived in freedom from that burden or a commitment you need to make to Christ this morning for the first time or in recommitment, or a church membership decision, or a call to a special ministry. Whatever it is during our response time, uh, we will be here at the front and would welcome you to come and just pray with one of us or share with one of us the journey you're on. Loving God, hear our prayers as we imagine if together. Through Christ we pray. Amen.